Please join me in prayer. Helper of all who seek you and our eternal guide, as we journey through this life, shine your light on our path. Show us your will through the sacred scriptures and speak to us through the Spirit's interpretation to give us direction and strength we need to follow Jesus Christ, the shepherd of our souls. Amen. The first reading this morning is from the New Testament. It's from the letter of Paul to the Colossians. You'll find it on pages 1072, 1073 of the Pew Bibles. We'll be reading Colossians 1, 15 through 28. Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature un under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh, I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given for me to make the word of God fully known. The mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. 
from the writer of Colossians who was called to share the words of the Lord and make them known and to unveil the mysteries of God. We turn to the prophet Amos, uh, who was called to do the same things. And uh, we look in the eighth chapter of Amos, and we will be reading verses 1 through 12. So listen now for these words of prophecy that were shared with the ancient church, but still speak a powerful word to us today. This is what the Lord God showed me, a basket of summer fruit. He said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, says the Lord God. The dead bodies shall be many, cast out in every place. Be silent. Hear this, you that trample on the needy and bring to ruin the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain and the Sabbath so that we may offer wheat for sale? We will make the ephah small and the shekel great and practice deceit with false balances, buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and selling the sweepings of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account and everyone mourn who lives in it and all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. On that day, says the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on all loins and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. The time is surely coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we get another vision that God has given to Amos, it seems that things are looking up a little bit uh, for the prophet and for the nation of Israel. A basket of summer fruit sounds like a great blessing to me. Perfectly ripe and juicy peaches, a watermelon that thumps just right, sweet blueberries right off the bush, Plump blackberries just begging to fill a cobbler. These are some of my favorite things in the world. What could be wrong with that? At the same time, a blessing like this seems oddly out of place for the prophet Amos. His prophecy is dark and foreboding. God is tired of the sin of God's people. God is frustrated with the rich, enjoying their luxuries at the expense of the poor. God has had enough of the powerful taking advantage of the powerless. God is done with Israel ignoring the clear and repeated calls of Scripture to care for the widows, the orphans, the aliens, 
and the strangers in their midst. A vision of, nice, of a nice fruit basket seems like a strange and sudden departure from God's anger over all of this sin. And as it turns out, this vision of summer fruit is not a departure. It's more like what happens when you buy a cantaloupe and you take it home and you set it on the counter and then you kind of forget about it for a day or two or five, which is what I tend to do. And at some point you remember, hey, we just we bought that cantaloupe. And you go to the drawer and you get a knife out and you go over, you're ready to cut into that thing and enjoy that perfect juicy treat. But when you pick up the melon on the counter, you see that pool of nasty drainage, you know what I'm talking about? And then your thumb slides through the rind into that huge rotten place. And you catch a whiff of what has been happening. And the whole cantaloupe ends up in the garbage. And you walk away hungry and a little bit disappointed in yourself. The shift from a delicious edible arrangement to a bitter warning of rottenness is marked by a clever clue that's hidden in the language that Amos uses. Biblical Hebrew is a very poetic language, and its greatest poets loved wordplay. And in the second verse of chapter 8, we have a great example of that kind of wordplay. The Hebrew word, <clears throat> excuse me, the Hebrew word for summer fruit is kits, while the word for end is kets. The words differ by just one letter, and the people of Israel who would hear this prophecy of Amos, who would have heard it spoken and read in that oral culture, they would have heard that wordplay very clearly. I saw kits, and God promised kets. Summer fruit is produce that is right on the verge of harvest. It cannot go any farther before it's worthless. For this fruit, the end is near. So the image of the summer fruit is far from a delicious gift. It is instead a vision of that rotting cantaloupe. God has seen the foul, seeping discharge of people who had turned their back on God's righteousness. God could no longer hold on to this nation without the divine thumb squishing into the gross decay of a culture that put the pursuit of wealth and power and luxury higher than its pursuit of God. And Amos says God is not going to abide it anymore. The fruit represents the end. The kits is the cat's. So this simple and powerful vision serves two purposes in the prophecy of Amos. The end of the summer fruit is both an encouragement for the weak and also a warning to the strong. As a dresser of sycamore trees, Amos knew a thing or two about fruit and also about being powerless. Shepherds have never commanded much respect nor, I would argue, have fig farmers. Amos was also a stranger in the land. He was a man from the southern kingdom of Judah, sent by God to prophesy to the northern kingdom of Israel. He was, as we say, from off. And he was becoming a thorn in the side of the northern king. 
The king just wanted him to go away and stay away. And for a time, the king got his way. The only problem was that Amos could still hold a pen. And even on the run from the king and his bullies, the prophecies of the man of God lived and they spread to the point that we still read his words. And we can still feel their sting. And as I said, Amos also knew a lot about fruit. In ancient Israel, the word sycamore did not refer to the massive hardwood trees that we might think of in the American South. The Hebrew word refers to a much smaller tree that produces fruit much like a fig. Only a fig is much, much better. You would never make a Newton out of a sycamore fruit, okay? (laughs) But with... Without special care, that fruit would never be much of anything. Its little bud would stay hard and bitter, even when it became completely ripe. But over time, people discovered that if that fruit, that sycamore fruit, was bruised, if it was stressed just a little bit, then it would quickly sweeten. And this was one of Amos's jobs as a tender of sycamore trees. He would take an iron comb. And he would walk through the sycamore groves to scratch and bruise and just gently mar the skin of the fruit so that it might turn from something bitter into something useful, something palatable. People who make wine know the same is true for grapes. Vines that struggle to get water tend to yield the best grapes, which then make the best wine. If the vines have easy access to water, the leaves get too big, and there are too many nutrients, which makes the grapes grow big, but it also means that those grapes have less color and that they tend to have diluted flavor. It's the vines that experience a little stress along the way that tend to get it right. Enough foliage to provide a little shelter, enough photosynthesis, but also enough struggle and strain to yield smaller berries, darker, more intense berries that tend to be more delicious. As a representative of the weak, Amos brings encouragement to those who are being abused, abused by an economic system that favored the rich and was designed to keep the poor people in their place. He promised them that God knew of their suffering that God was working to transform their pain into victory, as the famous pastor Charles Spurgeon preached in 1860. We may grow in some things by prosperity, but true ripeness in grace can only be obtained in adversity. Our cares, our losses, our crosses, our depressions of spirit, our temptations from within and from without, these are all ripening dispensations. They are making us ready for the time when our beloved Lord shall come and gather us into the basket, like apples of gold in baskets of silver. At the same time, Amos's vision of summer fruit represents a clear warning to the strong. The trampled may be encouraged that God hears their cries and that God is working to redeem their suffering, but the ones who are doing the trampling 
are clearly in trouble. Many of you saw the movie Gladiator. It came out in 2000. Like, how is that even possible? I mean, it's, uh, it's 19 years old. But many of you know that movie. The, the hero is the Roman general Maximus, who becomes a casualty of a treacherous conspiracy against the emperor. He's betrayed. He is enslaved. He is condemned to fight in bloody contests in the Roman Colosseum. Commodus, the Caligula-like usurper who kills his father to take the throne, tries again and again to rid himself of the nuisance of Maximus, but every effort to have him killed has failed. In one climactic scene, the completely immoral Commodus mercilessly mocks Maximus, goading him with infuriating details of the murder of Maximus's wife and the fact that his son was hung on a cross, both of these murders being ordered by Commodus himself, and showing tremendous will and refusing to take the bait, Maximus instead makes an ominous prophecy. The gladiator looks evil in the eye and says, the time for honoring yourself will soon be at an end. That is the essence of the prophecy of Amos to those who were in power in his world. You think you're winning now, Amos says, but your time is almost up. And throughout Christian history, great interpreters of the word have seen Amos's warning through this lens. I take the simple meaning, John Calvin said, that punishment had now become ripe. For the people had not repented, though they had been so often warned. John Wesley just saw the end. The end of God's patience with Israel. The end of God's willingness to tolerate the blatant injustices being perpetrated by supposedly faithful people. They are now fully ripe, Wesley wrote. Fit to be gathered God had with admirable patience spared, but now he will no longer pardon or spare. And Matthew Henry, who wrote a much-quoted commentary of the entire Bible, was right there with Calvin and Wesley. They were ripe for destruction, he wrote. Rotten ripe. And it was time for God to put in the sickle of his judgments and to cut them off. Nay, the thing was in effect done already. And they lay ready to be eaten up. Summer fruits that would not keep till winter but must be used immediately were an emblem of this people, a people that had nothing solid or consistent in them. There are, I think we can all agree, a lot of people honoring themselves these days. There are prominent people who do not seem to have anything solid or consistent in them, at least not in the way that God judges solidity and consistency. Just as in Amos's day, there are prominent people, including people who claim to be people of God, who build themselves up by tearing others down. And Amos reminds us that such behavior is not of God. It is not something we can condone. 
because God clearly does not condone it. God refuses to justify it, and God promises through the prophet that it will not be allowed to continue. To those who feel like they are being trampled, like so many grapes, Amos's basket of summer fruit is an encouragement that oppression will not last forever, that soon justice will flow down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. To those who are doing the trampling, ignoring the cries of God's people, ignoring God's calls to love one another as Scripture clearly calls us to do, the summer fruit comes as a warning. And it's a warning to all those who abuse their place, to all those who would abuse their power, to all those who seek profit for themselves by putting others at risk, to all those who build themselves up by tearing others down, a warning that the time for honoring yourselves will soon be at an end. Thanks be to God.